Wonderful to sing the truths of God's word. Our lives are hidden with Christ. Wonderful to meditate on that and to be refreshed in that good news. Luke chapter 11, verse 29, found on page 1615, if you're using the Pew Bible in front of you. This is God's word given to his people for our good. Let us give careful attention to its reading. Luke 11, verse 29. As the crowds increased, Jesus said, This is a wicked generation. It asks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was a sign to the Ninevites, so also will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And now one greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now one greater than Jonah is here. No one lights a lamp and puts it in a place where it will be hidden or under a bowl. Instead, he puts it on its stand so that those who come in may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are good, your whole body also is full of light. But when they are bad, your body also is full of darkness. See to it, then, that the light within you is not darkness. Therefore, if your whole body is full of light, and no part of it dark, it will be completely lighted, as when the light of a lamp shines on you. The grass withers, and the flower fades. God's word endures forever. Amen. One of the common strategies of many of those who are preaching on TV or publishing many popular books in the realm of Christianity or religion in general is to claim that you have a direct line of communication with God, that God is revealing things to you, and then you, in turn, are giving those exact things which God has told to you to all those who hear your preaching or who read your books. This is a a common strategy and one that attracts a lot of attention because people, Christians, or even perhaps non-Christians, tend to desire something beyond what God's Word says. These changing times, our modern world, all of it surely demands more, some may say. Thus, when someone claims that God brings them up into heaven and and gives them all kinds of new information that God's people need to know, people will tend to flock to hear exactly what that is. Today, we consider this teaching from Jesus that uncovers the spiritual problem behind our desire to hear about these new revelations. And we think about why people are so drawn to something that they're under the impression will strengthen their faith. But the heart of the problem is not merely that we want stronger faith, that we want more certainty in what we believe. The problem is that we want to go beyond the need for faith. That's one of the things that our sinful flesh desires. We want a certainty of our mind that eliminates the need to trust in God and in his word. Jesus reminds us today that our confidence must be rooted in God's word and trusting that he knows what is best for us, 
The reason that he has given us the word that he has and has called us to trust in it is because he is wiser than we are. The last time we looked at Luke, we saw Jesus answering the charge that he casts out demons by the power of the devil. And today he deals uh, with another charge from uh, that same, uh, this same account in chapter 11, earlier on in chapter 11, as people demand a sign from him. We see Jesus in this passage affirm the sufficiency of his word and its teaching. So it's a wonderful passage for us to pivot back to the Gospel of Luke. The last few uh, weekends in the morning, we've been looking at the sufficiency of God's word. And Jesus applies that in uh, a certain way in this passage here. This passage is a challenge, but also a comfort to those who often feel that God's word is not enough, that you want something more. You want God to reveal more. So this is a challenge but also a comfort. I think it's true that this is a very common struggle, right? Sometimes we feel that we believe the word is sufficient, but we struggle in thinking that maybe God is giving more information that we need to know and we need to hear. If we don't understand the ways in which God calls us to faith in this age, then we will doubt the sufficiency of his word. All kinds of things that plague us, right? We are given eternal life. We are promised eternal life, but we are bombarded with death and suffering in this age. We are told of a resurrection, but we experience corruption and decay. We are declared righteous, but sin continues to dwell in us and plague us. We are promised all good things, and yet we hunger and we thirst. In the midst of all of this, don't we often feel like we can identify with those who look to Jesus and demand a sign? When we do so, we are longing for something that cancels out the need for faith. And rather than that, Jesus would say, look to the word of God, trust it, and trust that God is wiser than man. God intends to show us all of these things for the good of our faith and for the good of our endurance to the end. So Jesus turns to this group that has demanded a sign earlier in chapter 11. He calls them a wicked generation, and that seems harsh. But for three reasons, I'll say that Jesus what he, and what he says in calling them an evil or a wicked generation is, is indeed the right and proper response. The first is that we see in the Gospel of Luke, those who demand Jesus for a sign, in addition to all the things he has said, in addition to all the things that he has given, when they do so, they align themselves with the devil. Back earlier on in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is tempted in the wilderness, and the devil comes to Jesus and says, if you are the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. He demands a sign. And thus, from that point on in the Gospel of Luke, the people who do similar things are aligning themselves with this improper way of speaking to Jesus and demanding a sign. The second reason is this. Jesus has just cast out a demon back in chapter 11, verse 14. And that, in a sense, is a sign, isn't it? And Jesus has been doing many signs in his life and in his ministry up until this point. But yet they're asking for more. They want an experience. These people who demand a sign from Jesus want an experience that nullifies their faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, what does that say? It says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards all of those who seek him. We think of the uh, doubting 
Apostle Thomas, right? Who refused to believe in Jesus until what? Until he saw him and until he touched his wounds. And when he finally proclaims, he sees Jesus and touches the wounds. He says, my Lord and my God. Jesus says, do you believe in me because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. This demand for a sign means that uh, you are wanting God to reveal himself and his truth on your terms. And that's the third reason. That's the third reason why Jesus is justified in calling them an evil and a wicked generation. Those, uh, Those folks who demand a sign are saying, prove yourself to me, Jesus, and prove yourself in the way that I want. We're forgetting, they are forgetting, that God is sovereign over his Revelation. God is sovereign over what he reveals, over what he declares, over what he teaches and what he includes in his word. It's not our right to tell God how to do something or what we think he is lacking in what he has done. God's word is settled in heaven. Our God is in the heavens and he does whatever he pleases. So we turn from the word of God to ourselves and we ask, do we sometimes embody the kind of attitude of the men and women of this generation who demand a sign from Jesus, who want an experience that would cancel out, that would nullify the need for faith. Are we looking at what God has given, at what he teaches us in his word, at what he is doing in our lives, and perhaps sometimes we think to ourselves, you're going to have to do better than that if you want my full allegiance. I'm going to keep you at an arm's length from myself and from my life. We think that God hasn't shown up in the kinds of ways in our lives that we want him to. When we're tempted to feel that way, friends, brothers, sisters, when we're tempted to feel that way, let us always remember that God is sovereign over his revelation. He gives to us what he will give, and he is the one who has the right to choose that. Another way that this shows up is in desiring these further revelations, these private revelations, or, or being drawn to the kinds of, of, of teachers that you may see on the internet or on TV that claim these direct revelation, uh, revelations from God. We feel our sinful hearts pulling us in the direction of saying, the Bible is just not equipped to answer the questions of today's world. When we say that, what are we saying? We are saying that God, who knows all things and who has decreed all things, when he gave his word, he wasn't keeping in his mind all the things that would be present in 2018. That he didn't know and couldn't give a word that was sufficient to go from age to age and still be all that we need for faith and for life. We think about it perhaps in in terms of faith and experience on this sliding scale or in this pie chart. And the more that you experience, the less faith that you need. One person may say, well, uh, I I will trust God. I will give him my full allegiance if I see him show up in my life or if I see him conduct a miracle before my very eyes. I will always love him and I will always serve him. But until that, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait and see what he does and what he says to me in my life. The, the irony of this is that this is often how you hear people uh, who talk about God who have no faith whatsoever, do not believe in him at all. If God shows up, if he reveals himself to me, then I will believe in him. It comes from a similar place of unbelief. So may we not be like those of this generation, brothers and sisters. May we rest in the sovereignty of God 
and in the sovereignty of his revelation. But Jesus does say that a sign will be given, doesn't he? And he calls it the sign of Jonah. What is this sign of Jonah? If you wanted to find out, you'd probably do some cross-referencing in your Bibles, and you'd probably see that Matthew 12, Jesus speaks of this sign of Jonah, and there you would go read Matthew 12, and it says this, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And from there you would conclude that the sign of Jonah is Jesus being buried and then rising again three days later. But there would be a couple of reasons why that would miss Luke's main point here. He's bringing out a different nuance of the sign of Jonah. We also have to keep in mind that one of Luke's most important themes is the the proclamation of the gospel to all of the nations, the spreading of the, the, the good news of Jesus Christ throughout the world. The Gospel of Matthew deals, one of the primary themes in the Gospel of Matthew is showing how Jesus is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. He is the Savior to Israel. Thus, in Matthew's Gospel, a lot of times you're dealing with the different ways in which Israel brings condemnation upon, him, upon itself by mainly rejecting Jesus as their Messiah. But in Luke, there is this greater emphasis on Christ being a Savior to the nations and in worldwide proclamation and evangelism. So notice in verse 30, Jesus says, Jonah himself is the sign to the Ninevites. Now that's not in the Gospel of Matthew. In Matthew, it doesn't say Jonah himself is the sign of the Ninevites. And if we go back to the story of Jonah and read the book of Jonah in the Old Testament, there's no evidence that the men and women of Nineveh knew that Jonah had been swallowed by a fish and then spit out. They did not know about that great uh, salvation from the depths of the earth, if you will. Thus, Luke is bringing out something different about the sign of Jonah. And in the book of Jonah, we read that he simply goes to the people of Nineveh and he preaches a message of judgment. He preaches a message of judgment. In fact, we read... In chapter 3, verse 4, the entirety of the sermon, Jonah 3, 4, all the prophet says is, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And with this very simple yet clear message, the Ninevites repent and they turn from their ways, their wicked ways, and they seek after God. Thus, Jonah performs no miraculous sign in the eyes of those who are in Nineveh. It's only preaching, and that's what Jesus is saying. The only sign that will be given to this generation is his proclamation. It is his preaching. There's a bit of irony here, isn't there? Because Jesus is doing signs and has been doing signs, but all all the people who demand more, they're saying, everything you have done, that doesn't count as a sign. And so I need you to do something else. As we consider all of these things, we can conclude that Jesus is teaching those who would demand a sign, and indeed he is teaching us that it is sinful to desire a certainty that would put you beyond the need for faith, to still trust in what God has given to you and to trust in his word and in that alone. His word is enough. Jesus reinforces 
the goodness of trusting what is declared and what is taught in his word by using these two examples of the queen of the south, which is the queen of Sheba, and the people of Nineveh. And they say that they will rise up to condemn those who hear Jesus preach and teach and yet do not recognize that he is greater than Solomon, that he is greater than Jonah. He is wisdom sent from heaven. He is salvation that has been sent from heaven. And look at the ways in which Jesus commends the ways in which these people hear. Verse 31, the queen of the south, she comes from the ends of the earth to do what? To listen to Solomon's teaching. A blessing upon her ability to hear the truth. Verse 32, it says this, the Ninevites repent at what? At the preaching of Jonah. So they hear something and they respond to what they hear. So in both examples, it is the faith that is shown in what they hear that Jesus commends. While those of this generation seek after something that they see with their eyes. They're trying to trust in their own bodily eyesight. Paul says in the book of Romans, faith comes by what? By hearing. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. We'll turn to verse 33 then and see how Jesus weaves all of this together in using a metaphor for seeing, a metaphor for sight. And what he's trying to do when he's talking about the eye being the lamp of the body, what he's doing is showing the importance of what is heard and trusting what you hear, that is the word of God. When you hear the word of God, trust that even more than you trust your eyes and what you see with our eyes. This is something, of course, that we see crop up again and again in scripture, right? Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. If I trust what your word says, I will be on more sure footing than even trusting what I see with my eyes. Jesus introduces this idea of a lamp and a light, and he does so in order to show that his teaching is the light. Jesus' teaching is clear and it can be understood. He has come not in order to add confusion to the earth, but to teach about God and to teach his salvation. He has come to do the Father's will. Not only the teaching of Jesus, but his very person has come to give light to the world. Jesus says in John chapter 8, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Those who follow Jesus will be given this understanding into eternal and ultimate and spiritual things that you would not have otherwise. Always pulling on these threads of seeing and understanding and knowing things that you cannot see merely with your eyes. Jesus did not come to be a light hidden under a bowl, but to proclaim his teaching and to do so clearly. His teaching can be understood by anyone who hears him. All classes of people, not just the educated or the wealthy, but all classes of people can understand what Jesus teaches and the truth that he brings. And when Luke wants to highlight that it is for anyone who hears Jesus and his teaching, he, all, he often does so in showing, again, that the gospel is for the world. It's for all of the world and all who repent and believe in Christ. It's no accident, then, that we have the Queen of Sheba and the Ninevites rising up to condemn those who are from within the nation of Israel, people from pagan nations who hear the truth and who respond to the truth. That is a testament to what Jesus has just said in verse 28 of chapter 11. When someone is trying to commend the mother of Jesus, Mary, blessed is the one who bore you 
and who nursed you? Jesus said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and who keep it. And Jesus and his word are not to be hidden or snuffed out, but clearly displayed and proclaimed to the very ends of the earth. There's an aspect in which uh, this idea of light and a lamp draws people in. We read in verse 33, at the end of verse 33, the ones who come in may see the light. There's this drawing factor of the light of the truth of Christ, that it draws people in. And the implication, of course, is that it draws people in from all corners of the globe, from all nations. Christ goes as the light to the world. Jesus himself is the light, as we see in this passage. But then there's also another aspect in which uh, those who are following Jesus in his train, they also become the light. And we see this kind of language sprinkled throughout the New Testament. If you are in Christ, if you follow him, you too are a light in a dark place. We read it in Philippians chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, where Paul says that we are to be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. You see the same kind of language, right? Crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Now, how do we do that? Next phrase, he he tells us, holding fast to the word of life. If you would be a shining light in the world for Jesus, that the church would would shine with the glory of God in Jesus Christ and by the power of the Spirit, drawing people to itself with its proclamation and its teaching, but also the life that it lives. If you were to be that kind of a light, you must hold fast to the word of life, the word which God gives by the power of his Spirit, inspiring men to write these inerrant and infallible words. Jesus says himself in Matthew 5, you are the light of the world. So hold fast, hold fast to the word of life. Remember that only Jesus can bring light into the world and yet that same light has been carried throughout the world for those who might come in and seeing the light. The last three verses expand the seeing metaphor that starts in verse 33. Again, Jesus is teaching us to find greater certainty in the word of of life and trusting the word of God than simply in what you see. Now, if you think about the two senses of hearing and seeing, what is the one that you tend to put more faith in? It's seeing, right? We tend to trust our eyes more than we trust our ears. And thus, Jesus is teaching that his word and his teaching are more uh, trustworthy even than what we see with our eyes. We receive the word of life and we trust it and we, in a sense, see these greater and ultimate truths. We are given a sight into eternal things. We read, for instance, in Psalm 43, verse 3, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Becomes like a a, a lamp. It becomes a map. It becomes all that we need to journey faithfully through this life, the word of God. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. If you were to journey somewhere, you would really need to depend on your eyesight, right? Not knowing where you are, you follow the map. You look at the road or the path in front of you. Psalm 43 says the word of God does that. The word of God leads you. Trust it more than you trust even your eyes. In the book of 2 Peter, the apostle expands on this idea, saying he saw Jesus, he saw him walk through this world, he even saw him on the Mount of Transfiguration. He says, we have something more sure than what we see with our eyes, the prophetic word. 
to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place, the light of Christ, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. This idea of good eyes and bad eyes, good eyes are that which receive the truth of the word of God, receive it as that which is authoritative and binding upon them, And those who have bad eyes are those who reject the word. They are like those of the evil generation who only want to trust the things that they see with their bodily eyes, not the eyes of faith. It it is with this in mind that we would do well to heed the call, the exhortation of Jesus in verse 35. See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. It is here that we see in the background of this passage the parable of the sower. From Luke chapter 8. I'd just like to read uh, the, the last part of that parable when Jesus is speaking about the seed of God's word that falls upon the good soil. He says this As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care then how you hear, for to the one who has more will be given, and from the one who has not even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. Take care how you hear. That is the meaning of what Jesus says in our passage in verse 35. See to it. That the light within you is not darkness. Ask yourself, do you receive the word of God as the word of God? Do you receive it as sufficient for your faith and for your life? Do you hold it fast that you might shine forth with the light of the truth? Trust the eyes of your faith more than you trust your eyes. I appreciated this week the words of Matthew Henry who said this, faith demonstrates to the eye of the mind the reality of those things that cannot be discerned by the eye of the body. It sees what your eyes cannot see. Faith is the firm assent of the soul to the divine revelation and every part of it and sets to its seal that God is true. It is a full approval of all that God has revealed as being true and good and beautiful and just. It helps the soul. And so it is designed, that is faith, is designed to serve the believer instead of sight. And to be to the soul all that the senses are to the body. Just as your body must trust your eyes when you're riding a bike or walking down the street or driving. So your soul in faith must trust the holy and sufficient word of Christ. For we walk by faith. And not by sight. It's not private revelations or something that God told you apart from the word that you are called to trust. But rather we are to receive all that is in his word. And in receiving and hearing its truth. We see what is not yet here. What has not yet come. So trust the word of Christ and the word of the gospel. Trust that you are saved by faith in him. And that he is coming again to judge the living and the dead. And that in heaven there is laid up for you an eternal inheritance that will never fade away. May the eyes of your faith rest in those promises today. 
See that reality. See that reality simply by hearing the word of promise in the gospel of Jesus Christ and know that his word is sufficient to sustain you until the end. Trust the word of Christ. Cling to it. Hold it fast and shine as lights in the world. Let's pray. Father, we are so tempted to to trust our eyes more than we trust what you have given to us for spiritual truths. So draw us to yourself by showing us the glory of your word and all that you give to us. May your spirit illumine our heart, illumine the meaning of these words in our hearts that we might show forth all that you have done in us. And we pray your protection this week that we might live according to all that you command us. And Father, may you increase our faith in the midst of a generation that seeks to trust other things. Father, may we be those who hold fast to the word of life. In Christ's name, amen.